Uh, if your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians 4 if you want to follow with us. <coughs> At the end of the message, again, I'm going to bring um, church board members that are here in leadership up, leadership to the front for you to see and to pray over uh, as we um, think about the year in 2018 that's ahead of us. There's um, a lot of things for us to do this year to be faithful. And in order to do that, we're going to need some leadership to be active among the congregation. And they have been active. They're going to continue to, to pursue the Lord and to seek Him and to try to grow and lead us into the likeness of Christ. Um, all of us are impacted in some way by the leaders and leadership of this congregation and leaders outside the church in different ways. As we look at the text, there are different things that Paul is going to bring to us. He's going to bring us um, encouragement through a plea. He's going to bring us um, the answer to how we can be equipped, um, the power by which we can lead and follow. And then also he's going to give us um, the example uh, in Jesus and who we are to pursue. I want you to remind you that Ephesus, like our own culture, was filled with lots of different things, which in some ways challenged the leadership principles and directions that Paul was trying to direct the church. Ephesus was a pretty big city, 300,000. Uh, that's, that's bigger than Pottstown. We're not living in that size of a city. It was on a harbor. It had frequent travel and visitors. Overlooking the city was a, a temple constructed to a false god named Artemis, which was so grand in its, uh, its construction, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. So Paul wrote to the church that, that was planted there um, to talk to them about how to live out faith. The context of chapter 4, of course, follows the end of chapter 3, which ends with a, with a glowing benediction to them, an encouragement. He says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. That's kind of what I want to go after this year with us, for God to be doing more through us than we could ever dream of, right? To him who is able to do that according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And then he gets into the nuts and bolts. We're getting into the nuts and bolts today a little bit to talk about leadership. And we talk about leadership, we talk about people that also are affected by leadership, which we'll call followers. Uh, as we go through this text, we're speaking to both parties or all of us. Ephesians 4, 1 to 7, and then 11 to 16. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, he, was, he had it settled in his mind. That's who I am. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He tells them earlier in the letter that you were called to be a part of this. Before the creation of the world, God predestined. He had a mind to bring you into this church the beautiful blending of Jew and Gentile together to form one, one body. He says, you are called. Live a life worthy of the calling. That's the encouragement that we bring today. He says, be completely humble and gentle. 
Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he expounds this unity, this unity, this us being one together. Listen for these seven unities. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Does Paul want them to be together going in the same direction? Yeah, one, one. Everyone give me a one, 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 one body going together, strong, powerful, one. And he says this, how is that going to happen? But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is the power. This is the power on how we can do what we're going to do. By God's grace working through us. Not on our own strength, but by God working through us. Down to verse 11. It was he, it was Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Those are the different grace dispersion areas. And, and then he says, why? In verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I liked Ben's encouragement for us this morning. This, the time of singing, the time of passing the offering plates, the time of sharing praise and concern, it would be a different experience if we were sitting more as one. Instead of, here's a little group, here's a little, all the way back. It would be different. You would actually feel the lifting and the praising of worship. You would actually be easier to pass the offering plate. Think about that as we stress unity and being together. This is the plea. This is the plea that I have for you, for all of us. If you're a leader and, you're, and your actions don't match your words, all right, it's deficient. It's hypocritical. If we're followers... We want our followers to be doing what our leaders are asking us to do as well. It's good for all of us. Here's the first. It's the encouragement Paul gives us. Live a life worthy of our calling. This is what I want you to do. That's a great goal for 2018. I am a follower of Jesus. I want to live a life worthy of that calling. He's called me into some things. He's called me into a living hope. He's called me into forgiveness. I found forgiveness 
right? He separated me as, as far as the east is from the west from my sins. He's called me to be his ambassador. Live a life worthy of your calling. And this is an attitude, an approach to life that if we all took as prisoners of Jesus, it would make leading easier. It would make following easier. Okay? There are several images of the church in Scripture. John 15 talks about the vine and the branches where we're supposed to be connected to Jesus and let him give us the nutrients and growth that we need to bear fruit. That's a good image. Psalm 23 gives us another image of the good shepherd. In that image, we are the sheep. Right? As, I, as I thought about this, these images of the church, um, I'm getting to a point where, which hopefully draws us together, but sometimes, don't you wish you were just a sheep? All you had to do was listen to the shepherd and his voice. And he says, today we're eating over here. And you just went there and you just ate. Right? And he says, come down here and drink. So you went over here and you drank. And just because you ate and you drank in the right place following the shepherd, uh, your wool grew. And it produced what it, it just happened. <laughs> it didn't take a whole lot of effort except just eat in the right place, right? For the church and for leadership, there are some obstacles which get in the way and, and we have to kind of deal with self. Now, that sheep that's supposed to go over here sometimes will say, I think I want to check this out over here. And then un, unbeknownst, there's wolves or there's a cliff there. Or, so, uh, or there's things that sheep can do as well. But Think of the image of the bridegroom and the bride. We're the bride of Christ, right, and the bride. He wants us to live a certain way, and we're to be preparing ourselves for that. But sometimes the world and, and the culture that we live in says, try this, live this way. And it's like we're living in Ephesus where there's all things all around us that are distracting us from going in the direction into the growth and the likeness of Christ, Whatever image of the church we look at, we know that we live in a place and a time in a fallen world where there's going to be some obstacles, some hurt, some, some things which keep us from fulfilling what the image is supposed to be, ideally. Martin Luther King Jr. says this, <clears throat> in his fight, in his leading to overcome the injustice of racism that was just so prevalent in our country, he had to lead with strength and conviction. I praise God that he was led by Jesus Christ in doing this. We're going to resist and we're going to draw awareness to these injustices without violence. But he said this, one of his many famous quotes. He says, we must accept finite disappointment. Things aren't always going to go as we plan, even as leaders in a broken world. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Never lose infinite hope. And this is the hope that we have in following Jesus. There's going to be different struggles this year. There's going to be things which don't go right. And you're going to be like, why? What's the, what's, what's the purpose? Live a life worthy of our calling. We're called to an infinite hope in Jesus Christ. I encourage you to take Paul's encouraging device to live a life worthy of this calling. You notice the word that Paul uses there? <clears throat> he uses the word urge. Uh, using the word urge is stronger than I'm going to invite you. 
I'm going to invite you to, to sit as one body next week. I just keep coming back to that because it's close. I want to urge you to do that. I want to urge you to do that. Paul uses the word urge because it's a little, more, it's a little stronger than invite. Invite's like, eh, you know, I don't feel like it. I'm going to stay here. Urging takes it to another level. Now, it's not quite the same as insist or demand. I demand. Ooh, then we get a little, hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I saw that. Yeah, some of you, some of you just went like that. Paul urges. Because when you use the word urge... The ownership of decision is still upon the people receiving the plea. I can't force you. We can't. I can't monitor you. But he's pleading with the people. I urge you to live a life. And this is what he wants us to do. He wants us to be one. And he gives several things here for us to think about in doing this. Anyone who's tried to lead any group of people, if they're not going in the same direction, it's difficult. It's hard. I remember once as a, a youth, I was probably a little bit older than some of, some of you, uh, and on the, the little um, farm mat that we lived on, my uncles had put some young cattle there. We simply wanted to move them from across the road back into the pen where the barn is, and they didn't want to go. Most of them were okay, and then one would get the idea just to run off and we ran these back and forth, back and forth, until they were just exhausted. We finally got them across the road. You're trying to lead cattle, sheep, people in a direction where they don't want to go that direction. It becomes very challenging. It's important for us to be one and recognize how we have so many things which we can elevate above our personal preference to hold on to as our guide. Here they are. We're one body. Many of our parts, but we're one body. So we can think of our congregation as the body, but better yet, we'd better think of the church. And Coventry is a part of the body. Maybe we are the part of the body that's in this finger, right? And we're simply supposed to point the direction to Christ. And if some of us aren't quite going the right direction, we can't even raise our finger up. One body, one body, many parts. There's one spirit who as believers lives within us. And we fellowship together in the love of Christ, it's like the triune God fellowshipping together. Love is made complete when we pass it on. One spirit. It's a great connector for us. There's one hope, which is a motivator for us to keep going. Even when, when, even when the world is dark and bleak and I don't want to go. There's a living hope that we call it to that goes beyond this world. There's one Lord whose name is Jesus. Who gives us the power to find contentment. And express like Paul did, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's one faith. You are saved by grace through faith. And this one faith calls us to action. You look at Hebrews 11. We see Abraham by faith acted. Moses and Noah and others by faith acted. We have the same faith. You're saved by grace through faith. The faith that saves you is the same as my faith that saves me. The same faith that Abraham had looking to God who would send a Messiah is the same faith that we have looking back at that Messiah. Our faith connects us. There's one baptism, not just a baptism of repentance, but a baptism which joins us into the body of Christ. We go down into Christ's tomb, dying there, coming back from the waters alive. One baptism 
One God and Father of all. Do you think he wants us to be one? One, 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 one. Unity. Jesus prayed that we might be one. Read Jesus' prayer in John 17. He says, Jesus says, any house divided against itself will fail. If we want to be great for God, we will continually submit to and search for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace as we live out faith. Dying to self, living to Christ. The plea is for you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Here are some other things to think about that model. It's the model of Jesus. It says in verse 2, be completely humble and completely gentle. These are leadership principles, and they're also following principles. Be patient with each other. Sometimes some of you wish that God, sometimes it's true that God's already gone and we're a few decades behind him in following, or a few days, or maybe a few years, few moments. Sometimes God's not moving yet, and we jump ahead of God, and to get ahead of him in doing things. Be patient. Bear with each other in love. Anytime you get more than one person working together, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be different opinions. Do you know this to be true? Husbands and wives? Just consulting. Go ahead and consult if you need to. (laughs) Bear with each other in love. Brothers and sisters. Hmm. Okay. Neighbors. um, People that... Why? Why haven't we sung a praise song in this service for weeks? All we sing is hymns. I used the reverse analogy in the first service, okay? So I'm not just stepping on hymns here. Why why can't we do something like that? Bear with one another in love. It's not about my preference or your preference. If we work together, we're going to have to listen. We're going to have to forgive. We're going to have to be motivated by love. Make every effort, Paul says, to keep the unity of the Spirit. You see, the, the, the background of people coming into the church in Ephesus was diverse, perhaps way more diverse than us from our theological upbringings and background. Most of you are coming from, a, 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 from parents or grandparents who were in the Christian faith. But our diversity is in preference, perhaps, and experience. We still have to put that in front of us as a guide. Paul said, I am a prisoner for the Lord, not a reluctant prisoner looking to escape. But we are caught by Christ, submitting to his authority. When leaders take up the attitude of being a prisoner for the Lord, wanting to live a life worthy of the calling of the Lord, leadership will be easier for you. And leadership will be blessed if the followers take up the attitude, I'm a prisoner, I am a prisoner of Christ. I want to live a life worthy of the calling that I've received, and I understand that these are the leaders that we've called forward. I'm following them. I'm not going to sit here and complain. I'm not going to cross my arms and not move. I want to go where God is leading, and we're trusting for Him to work through the leaders. It would be the best possible relationship with leaders and followers agree if we take out this 
encouraging plea for us. Okay? The second point of the sermon is the power. The power for us to be equipped. There's a phrase that you can underline in um, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Anyone being called to a position of leadership in the church should recognize that God is sovereign in the process. Our text tells us that it's he who is over all and through all and in all. I think we're naive if we don't believe that that can happen here among us, within the workings of this congregation and even the workings of our home. By God's grace, we have physical and spiritual life, including diverse gifts that can be recognized, developed, and offered for God's purposes. So I just named some of those gifts. We can think. All of you are able to to think this morning and engage with this text and, and the words that are coming from me. We can sing. We can organize. Some of us can communicate. We all can communicate. Some of us do it better than others. We can make music and art. Some of us paint or construct. Some of us manage. Some of us plan. Some of us make budgets. Also, God gives us grace to listen and to encourage and many other things. Leaders are given talents by God's grace And when we strive to live up to the calling that has brought us into kingdom living, we offer these gifts to kingdom work glory. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. God gives a diversity of gifts so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's really good. That we are diverse in our giftings. And even in our passions, some of us are much better administrators than others. So we should let those that can administrate, put them in positions where they can do that. Some of us would say, I hate administration. I want to be where I'm doing this and this and this. Identifying the diverse gifts that we have and putting them where they can thrive is part of what leadership needs to do. One of my tasks is to equip and encourage leaders to lead. Leaders look to those that they lead and represent and encourage the God-given abilities in the body of Christ and prepare God's people for work of service. Each is given grace so that the body of Christ may be built up. You might be saying, I'm not a leader. I just want to, I just want to do the work. That's exactly what leaders want. They want people that can say, just tell me, tell me what, and set me off. Just tell me what to do, okay? And others that are in leadership need to kind of envision and dream and, and, and put together what it is that we're to do. There's a question that I have received recently that helps me to stay on task, or at least it's challenging me to stay on task. What God-given talent or skill, by His grace, do I have that brings the most value and glory to the kingdom? One of the things that I believe that God has given me is the ability to connect with people at different ages, to be able to kneel down and, 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 and do ministry with children that are 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 10, 12, 14, up to sitting at the bedside of someone who's 85 and 94 and connect with different ages. For the most part, God has given me a body that is 
fairly healthy where I can split wood on a Saturday with some gentlemen, uh, uh, feel it on Sunday, um, <clears throat> move chairs, carry tables, wash windows, and do things like that, which at times are good for me as leader to do. God has also given me the ability to read and to read textbooks and to try to, after rereading and rereading, understand what that paragraph meant and be able to put together some words in a way that encourages people to live a certain life. Otherwise, bring a message to people. So I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying I can do a lot of things kind of okay, not horribly, But what I'm learning is that I shouldn't be doing all things if I'm going to be effective in the things that God wants me to do specifically. You know what I'm saying? So the question that I have to rephrase instead of what can I do is what should I do? Okay? What can I do? There's always things to do. What should I do? What narrows it down which is best, the most value to the glory and the kingdom. The question that I ask myself is a question that some of our own leaders need to be asking as well. Because many of them are, are taking off this hat and putting on another hat, and there's two or three more hats waiting for them to put on. Leaders that are doing an awful lot need to fine-tune their leadership so they can lead and build up the body. Leaders that do too much burnout and the maturing and building up of the body will stall because they won't do anything. The success of leaders is determined in the response of those they are trying to lead. As I mentioned these different commissions of the church board, I want to tell you that we're trying to develop leadership in these areas and they're dependent upon the body to help fulfill the mission of this church. I'm going to have Christian education Commission, stand up here in just a few minutes. Christian education, they're looking for allies. They're looking for people in the body to say, I want to work there, or I feel gifted there. They oversee Sunday school. They oversee the youth program that's going on. One of the big ones that involved about 60 to 80 of us last year was vacation Bible school with nearly 100 children here every night. They're looking for people to say, just tell me what to do. And then set me off to do it. Block party. So they're dealing with discipleship. They're dealing with teaching the word of God. Training people up to follow Jesus. This is work that happens primarily inside our building. And then evangelism as we reach out with different outreaches. Christian education. The finance commission. They oversee the financial affairs of the church. They deal with people that that are giving money. They help us put together a budget with the funds that we've received. They look at those patterns of giving and say, here's what's happening with our giving. And they give suggestions. Now, giving is is necessary for the ministry of the church, but it's also an indication of spiritual health as well. The Bible talks a lot about how money can keep you from really surrendering and following God. It can be an idol in our life. They help us understand this a little bit and speak into that. One of the things that they're looking into is the ability to give finances in a new and different way through online giving. <clears throat> Ministry, worship, and music is another commission which oversees the corporate worship life of the congregation. The people that were in place to make this morning happen, including me being here ready to speak, 
And when I'm not here, other people, ushers, greeters, offering people, MWM takes care of that. Missions in service is a commission that will stand here. They're trying to lead us into making missions a vital part of what we do. They help us look out into the congregation, uh, from the congregation to the local and global community and helping us keep aware of the missionaries that we support and, and blessing them with correspondence and even at times calling us to support new missionaries. They plan mission trips and they do child sponsorships. Are they looking for people to help serve them? Sure. With more people saying, we want to go serve, help find us a way to do that. We'll find those places, right? We'll do that. Properties. The Property Commission is, has a big job of maintaining the facility. This is an old facility. Do you know that? It's, I don't know how old this actual part is. Hundreds. The building next door is 30 years old, and we're just starting to do some things and recognize some things need upgraded and, and, and maintained. It seems like it's ongoing at times, right, properties? <clears throat> just like you have to maintain your house with things, this building and structure needs updated. Thermostats need programmed when the power is out. Someone has to be thinking of these things and doing these for us to function. They're looking for teams. They're looking for groups of men or women who say, we're here to help. Tell us what to do. The leadership that we'll have stand up here, including our moderator, board chair, treasurer, clerk, and pastor, work closely with all those commissions to try to speak vision, to speak encouragement, to remind them of what we're about as we go through this. All of us are dependent upon the grace that God gives us to do what we're trying to do. And I praise God for that grace that he's given to allow these men and women to serve in the role that they are called. And I hope that you can as well when they stand up here this morning. So we have two things mentioned. We got a plea. Live the life worthy of the calling. And we have the power. The power is given by the grace of Christ working as he apportioned it in us. With those two things, this is the process, growing up into Christ. When I was um, <coughs> the associate pastor at Woodbury Church of the Brethren, <clears throat> I was overseeing youth ministry, and they sent me to some conferences uh, with the youth. And on one of those conferences, I was going hiking with the group, and, and I think I stepped into a position that I wasn't expecting, but they needed someone to lead a group, the bus, on a challenging hike uh, in one of the parks out there in Colorado. And I'm like, all right, how hard can it be? Stay on the path and keep going forward, right? So we got off the bus and we started walking and, and they all identified me as the leader, right? Go in the right direction and we'll just follow you. <laughs> well, there were some rainstorms that come and it was a heavy rain and it kind of blended a couple things together, or the path was washed out, and I got to a point, and I said, I think we should go left here, and we went left, and with about 30 seconds of going on that trail, I realized a sinking feeling in my heart. I'm like, hmm, this is not right. This path, it, it dissolved. There was no path there at all, so I said, I did, I did a humbling thing. Stop. I turned around, and I faced all these youth, the 40 or so youth and other adults that were following me, Follow the leader. 
we're on the wrong path. <laughs> so I humbly then limped back to the right path and went again. And that second path took us to the top. Great views, amazing views. The point is, we have to know where we're going as leaders. What's the goal? What are we trying to lead to? If you're trying to lead and you don't have an idea of where you're going or what you're looking for along the way, it's going to be tough to lead. All right? So the text gives us some of those things to look into. First, leaders lead in order to prepare God's people for works of service. Leaders need to lead in such a way where they don't have to do everything, but they're equipping people to take ownership in the work and service of the church. Leaders lead to prepare God's people for works of service. It says it right here in verse 12. There's a so that, so the body of Christ may be built up. Part of people getting engaged and working in the service of the church or a ministry that goes out different places is that people realize their significance in the body. We need you. I'm needed. I'm valuable. Leaders lead in order to prepare God's people for works of service. The second principle to guide leadership is the statement of, of how and, and what shall I look for in the process of leadership. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So there's a lot of things there that we're going to unpack just real quick. Uh, let's talk about the phrase unity in the faith. Leaders lead so that we have unity in the faith. We want to lead so that we overcome, we work to overcome divisions caused by personal preference. Is our work done there with this point? We get along pretty well, right? Well, let me ask you, why are you here? Why are you at the 1045 service and not the 830 service? I preach the same message. That's the same. The primary difference is what? Music and time. If you say, I don't, I'm not going to the 830 service because I don't like, I don't like the music. That's a personal preference. If you say, I'm not going to that 8.30 service because I, I like to sleep in till 9.40 and go to 10.45. Again, that's a personal preference. I've seen families with children arrive at an ice hockey practice at 6.37 a.m. on Sunday morning. But they say, I can't get to 8.30 service. It's too early for my family. Okay, so we're not there yet. And we may never be there as well as we have, as well as we're on this side of heaven. But that's something to gauge us. We want to lead in such a way where people are thinking about the unities that we have that oversee our personal preference. What's keeping me from supporting this? What's keeping me from doing this? I don't, I, I just, is it a personal preference? Okay, so we want to lead to work to overcome divisions caused by personal preference. In the church in, in Ephesians, it might have been someone coming from the temple of Artemis into the Christian church, and they wanted to bring a little idol or something there, right? And, and they might have to overcome some differences dealing with those types of things. Our differences are maybe 
based more on what we desire or what our experience of what this is what it should be. This is how we've done it the last 30 years. And daggone it, if we don't do it this way, I'm just not going to do it. That's a personal preference. We all have them. We all have them. Guaranteed. But is there something greater than our personal preference? Is there something that, that helps us to rise above that? As brothers and sisters in Christ, united by the Holy Spirit of God living within us, one faith, one Lord. Yes, it's bigger than us. God is bigger than us, and He's pleased when we lay down our personal preferences. There's nothing wrong with having two different time services. There isn't. There's nothing wrong with having various music choices and options in the church. No. In fact, it might, it might increase the diversity of gifting that we can put out there. It might give the world options, better options to come for us, but it's not really about what I want. We have work to do, and we'll always have work to do to keep us unity in the faith. And how do we do that? We point to Jesus. We point to something that's bigger than us, which is the second part of this phrase, knowledge of the Son of God. We teach, we preach, and we keep looking into Jesus' example, who left the glory of heaven and he came and emptied himself for us. This is the ultimate example of being humble, gentle, truth, love speaking, love acting, and yet powerful enough to change the world. Leaders, I want you to lead so people can know and understand and feel the knowledge and the example of the Son of God. You want to tell them what God is like? You point to Jesus. And then it says, until we become mature. Parents, aren't you glad when your teenagers become mature? Some of you said, we're still waiting. <laughs> aren't you glad, parents, when your kids, you didn't have to carry the diaper bag anymore? Oh, they knew what the bathroom was and when to get there. And I was like, yeah, that was fun. I remember that. Some of you are still waiting for that. I know. Leaders are looking for maturity. And it gives us some clues on what to look for to see this. Attaining to the whole measure of Jesus Christ. One of those ways is that we'll be able to determine truth. We'll no longer be swayed to the left or to the right by every kind of teaching that comes across our ears because we've heard and looked into the example of Jesus enough times to say, I understand what truth is. I'm not going to be deceived by this. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. So one of the things we're looking for as we lead is for a body of believers that is mature enough to determine what is truth and what's not truth. Don't be caught up by every wind of teaching that comes along. Test it to Scripture. Secondly, we'll know we're on the right track when we have people reacting to other with their speech in love. It says, speak the truth in love. I told you before, as long as there's more than one, there's going to be disagreements. We have to learn how to speak the truth in love, right? So much of, of what we put out there quickly from our mouth can cause damage or hurt. I know it, I, it happens in my home. Sometimes I regret saying a, a, a sarcastic or smart comment at the wrong time. Mm. 
I wish I would just put a filter there and check everything through uh, a number of things. It doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen when we're working with other people. This is one of the signs of maturity. We speak the truth in love, even if the message is harder, is hard for someone to hear. And the last part is this. When the body, when the body knows what it is to do, and it does it, working together as one unit, it builds itself up in love. A question that I wrestle with in this, in this text, as I applied it to my own life this week is, where is Jesus seen in your life? What part of your living reflects that of Jesus? This is what our leaders in, in every area, now maybe a little bit stretched to say, how do we maintain the buildings to help people grow in their maturity of Christ? But there are some connections there too. What do we do? What changes do we have to make to, to make this building in this time that we live in work to help the message of Christ come across? But in the other areas, it's a little more, more clear, a little more, more applicable. But it's true in our own lives. Where is Jesus seen in my life? One of the images that I gave you was from Ephesians 5. And Paul says, the bridegroom is going to return. The bride is the church. But he uses the example of, of husband and wife to play that out. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Respect your husband as if he is the authority. Where is Jesus seen in your life? If you're single, if you're a youth, if you're a widow, is Jesus and godly principles seen in your life? We want to move everyone towards maturity in the likeness of Christ. So one goal I have for myself is to grow as a leader. I have room to grow as a leader. Please forgive me for not being so great at times. I'm learning. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to be more effective. One of the things that I've realized is that I have to be healthy, healthy spiritually and healthy physically so that I can do what is best for the kingdom and the congregation. I'm inviting the leaders and the church board um, and other leaders of the congregation to come and meet with me to examine current practices and systems of ministry. I want the leaders to be equipped and refreshed, serving out of passion and joy and not obligation. We might have to break some habits. And I want the body of Christ engaged in spiritual growth and kingdom service. The plea, live a life worthy of our calling. Be encouraged this morning that we have a great calling a calling to follow after Jesus. The power is the grace that Jesus has given all of us. His grace is sufficient for today. And the process is that we grow up into Christ. I'd like to now bring before you our church board that's present for the consecration of their work this year. I'd like to invite uh, Christian Ed to come forward. I'd like to invite the finance People to come forward, missions and service, ministry, worship, and music, and properties, and also leadership team that is here this morning, which includes 
our treasurer, our clerk, our board chair. All right. As you're able, can you stand up here with Ben? <clears throat> As you're able, stand with the groupings that I... Stand with your team. Leadership. See if you can get together. Mm, properties. Missions and service. Finance. All right, over there on the far, your far right is our leadership. We need to go a little bit to that way. Nick, move to the left, Todd. Good. Ben is representing Christian Ed. If you say, I want to be involved in that ministry, I'm giving you targets to go after. Okay? Leadership, sometimes look for subcommittees. We have one going on right now, an audio-visual team that's working on. Uh, we have some of you involved in that as well. Christian Ed will be looking for people to do block party. Um, uh, vacation Bible schools and properties is looking for people to do spring cleanup because we never quite got the leaves picked up this year. And among other things, they'll be, they'll be making some pleas. Missions and service will look for people to go on trips to serve. Finance, they might be asking you to count pennies on our next uh, fundraiser that we get pennies in bottles. They'd love that one. I'm not sure how they'll ask you to help, but they might, or you might just go to finance. They're here because the congregation, through God working through us, you called them to this. You said, I want them to be our leaders. Now, that's a great privilege and an honor to be here. You're called to this position. And I believe that if God calls you, he'll equip you to do the work that's ahead of you. I've given them some vows to make for them to, to communicate and to state their significance of this position. I want you to hear what I'm reading and watch for their response. Do you willingly accept the responsibility to which you have been called? And do you promise to diligently seek to accomplish all the responsibilities entrusted to your care? Will you endeavor to seek guidance and power from the Holy Spirit and lead in accordance with the example of Jesus and the New Testament? Will you be creative, redemptive, and cooperative as you work together with this body of faith to continue the work of Jesus Christ? And will you prepare yourself through regular Bible study, prayer, and worship, sharing in the life of this faith community, and by becoming familiar with congregational policies and ministries? So your task... Your task in this calling is to let them lead you as God gives them vision, as God gives them um, ideas in ministry. We say, how can we support you? How can we be involved in the work and of what God is doing? Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you for what you're doing and what you will do with willing servants. Men and women who say, I will use my gifts for your glory. When you call out, Lord, for those who will serve you to be your hands and your feet, your voice, and you have people saying, here I am, send me. Lord, I believe you'll use them in a mighty way. So, Lord, for these men and women who are standing up front on the stage, Lord, I pray that you bless them, protect them, set them apart for your glory, fill them with your Holy Spirit, and give them clarity in their thinking that we will be working and following in the footsteps of Jesus, impacting this community for your glory. 
And Lord, for those of us that will follow, that are still sitting, Lord, I pray for your grace and your mercy to be surging through them, that they would be excited about what's going on and play their part as the body works together for your glory. Thank you, O God. Thank you for this congregation. We commit this board to you that your name and your kingdom will be lifted up high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.